Good morning. It is such a joy to be with you this morning. I, I probably don't say it enough. It really is the joy of my life uh, to proclaim the Word of God uh, to you. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. So glad to be here with you. We're going to be focusing on our passage that Pete read from 1 Timothy. Uh, we're going to look basically at, at the whole passage, uh, unpacking the very first line, uh, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. Great gain in godliness combined with contentment. We're going to get a little help from the Gospel of Luke along the way. But let me begin with a statement with which I think most of us will agree, and that is that God made our hearts to be full and satisfied in him. God made our hearts to be full and satisfied in him. He is a good and gracious God. He made us to need him, and he made, a, made himself available by his spirit to meet that need. St. Augustine, Augustine, famously prayed, uh, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, O Lord. God made our hearts to be full and satisfied in him. And another statement, which, which, which I think most of us will also agree, is that we constantly seek to get the satisfaction for which we were made from the things that God has given us rather than from God himself. I think it was Blaise Pascal, the great Christian mathematician, who said uh, that we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And no matter how we try to fill that hole with other things, no matter how many times we go back to the well, there will always be an emptiness until we fill that hole with God. It's a God-shaped hole. So our hearts were made by God to be full and satisfied in Him, but we try to fill our hearts instead with the things that God has given us rather than God Himself. And St. Paul uh, seemed particularly mindful for his young protege, Timothy, that Timothy not try to fill uh, that God-shaped hole with wealth. Timothy was a minister in Ephesus, and Ephesus was a very wealthy, uh, large Roman town, and surely temptation awaited Timothy around every corner. And this is, for us, an ever-fresh Warning as well, living as we do in the wealthiest culture in history, where every ad that we see blesses and appeals to our desire to have more, and in fact, we are taught to believe that we deserve it. And so whether we have wealth and we're scared to lose it, or we don't have wealth by our society's our society standards, but we desperately wish that we did. Paul's concern for Timothy is almost certainly applied to each of us as well. St. Paul is offering a wise and pastoral word to us who try to fill that God-shaped hole with material things when he says there is great gain, there is, that is, there is the joyful, rich fulfillment for which we were made, there's great gain in combining godliness with contentment. The key to filling the God-shaped hole, the key to finding the satisfaction for which we were made comes from combining the pursuit 
of righteousness with being content with what God has already given to us. And at first blush, that might sound an awful lot like someone telling you to eat kale. <laughs> like, you know it's good for you, but that sounds awful. <laughs> and yet we can see from the very, first, or the very last line of the passage that, that misery is not Paul's goal for us. He says, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Amen, is what he says. And so let's take a look at Paul's uh, concern for Timothy. We'll get an illustration from the gospel. And then let's take a look at Paul's solution for Timothy. So first, Paul's concern for Timothy. He says, and it's about the third line down in your bulletin, those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, he doesn't say what's often misquoted, that money is the root of all evil, but a love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, they have Wandered away from the faith. Wandered away from the faith. Paul is saying that a disordered trust in the security of wealth can lead to all sorts of distractions from the faith. Not a conscious and convicted departure from the faith, but a a sort of unfocused, accidental wandering away where you look up and you suddenly realize that you're lost. Sort of like when a child innocently follows a butterfly into the woods and looks up and realizes he can't find his father. And I think this is elegantly illustrated in Luke's gospel as Jesus gives us the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus has been poor and hungry, unwell, lying at the gate of the unnamed wealthy man. The wealthy man did not see dignity in Lazarus, but stepped over him day after day, pitying Lazarus as being inherently beneath him. And even in hell, he asks that Lazarus might be sent to do his bidding, first to quench his thirst and then to warn his brothers. And yet the rich man's appeal to Abraham would indicate that he did have some religious knowledge, but it seems that his wealth has clouded his worldview. And whatever faith that he had was absent-mindedly demoted. The result was that poor Lazarus was seen as a pariah to be avoided rather than as a fellow sufferer to be helped with the resources that God had given him. Paul, no doubt, had seen this parable played out many times in real life. And and not only did he want Timothy uh, to avoid this trap, but he wanted to help Timothy help the wealthier members of of Timothy's church to avoid that trap as well. But let's just be clear. Money isn't the problem. Money's great, isn't it? Money makes things easier. Whether you're buying a trip or a chocolate bar, money can help to make life more enjoyable. Money is not the problem. It's our disordered love of money 
That's the problem. The need to have it and the need to have the things that it affords. Do we own our things or do our things own us? I wonder if you can ask God, and I should say we, can we ask God prayerfully if there are ways in which our hopes are set on the uncertainty of riches rather, or, or whether the love of money has placed a condition upon how far we will go to follow God? Just ask the question. That's the concern that St. Paul has for Timothy. So what's the solution? He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. And that seems almost like laughably simple. But I want you to consider the difference of the language. There are those who wander away from the faith with the love of money. There's a sort of unconsciousness to it, a a sort of accidental aimlessness. But to pursue righteousness, to pursue the godly life, must take intention, awareness, purpose, a repeated discipline. It's sort of like if you are the captain of a ship, like an ocean liner, and you've got to get across the ocean. Now, it'd be easy and maybe even enjoyable in the short run to let the ship sort of drift lazily through the water in the sun. Who knows where you'd end up or what disaster would await you? If you want to reach the destination that you set out for, then it requires constant attention, paid to where you are, what direction you're headed in, and and how you're interacting with the surroundings. The righteous and godly life works the same way. Conscious awareness of how we are interacting with our surroundings, attention to the direction we're headed in. The intentional compliance of our faith is the course by which we work towards the object of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. He's the safe harbor. And the wind in our sails is the constant reminder that he loved us, though we loved other things. That he humbled himself, though we put ourselves on pedestals. That he forgave us, though we were unforgiving. That he died for us, though we insisted on the life of our dreams. And it is in the constant drinking from the fountain of this grace that the clouds of our thinking begin to lift. And he, he becomes our greatest love. He becomes our greatest love, which is good and right because our hearts were made by him to be full and satisfied in him. When we're focused on him, we're satisfied in him, then it is the most natural thing in the world to pursue more of Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance, and gentleness. And as we begin to love God more and more, we begin to love the things and the people that He loves. And the gifts that He gives to us are simply just things to be enjoyed, things to heighten our gratitude, our worship for His love and salvation. There is great gain. And godliness combined with contentment. I want to close by telling a story about Queen Elizabeth. There's just been a lot of talk about her with her passing. There's one story that's gone around, and you may have heard it before, and if you have, 
I don't care because it's, uh, uh, it's adorable. It's just adorable. And I think it at least offers a, a sort of opposite illustration of the rich man and Lazarus, where the queen's great wealth did, in fact, not inhibit her from being kind to others who might, who might have been seen as below her station. It was about 2005, and the queen was with her personal protection officer, her bodyguard. His name was Dick Griffin. And they were walking in the hills alone, just the two of them, through the, in Scotland, near her, their Scottish royal castle called Balmoral. And they, were, they, hardly ever, they would take these walks often, but they hardly ever saw anybody. But on, on this occasion, two tourists were coming along and engaged them in conversation. When that did happen, the queen would oblige them and stop and talk. There were two hikers coming towards them, and, and they were Americans, and they were on a, a walking holiday, and it was clear from the moment that they met that they did not recognize the queen. And that was fine. But the American fellow was telling the queen where they had been and, and uh, where they were going next and, and all of this, and... and, and Dick Griffin says, you, you can see it coming, but he says, uh, and, and what about you? Where are you from? And she says, well, I'm from London, but I have a holiday home just over the hills. And he said, well, how long have you been coming up here? And she said, well, I, I've been coming up here since I was a little girl, so it uh, must be 80 years. You could see the, the wheels kind of spinning, he said, You've been coming up here for 80 years. You must have met the queen. <laughs> and she said, well, I haven't. But Dick here meets her quite regularly. <laughs> and immediately the guy turns to Dick and says, tell me what she's like in person. And Dick said, well, she's quite cantankerous, but she has a lovely sense of humor. And just before they knew what was happening, the hiker puts his arm around Dick Griffin and hands the queen his camera and says, will you take a picture of us? And she did. And then Dick, being, being uh, gracious uh, more than they knew, uh, turned him around and took a picture with the queen as well uh, for that. And, and then they never let on and they waved goodbye. And the queen turned to him and said, oh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when they get back uh, to America and show those photographs to their friends. <laughs> and hopefully they will say who I am. Now, who would have blamed the queen if she had been upset or put off for not being recognized? Do you know who I am? Or, or perhaps if she had just not engaged with him and walked right past but this extravagantly wealthy and world-famous woman was not the least bit haughty. She was kind and generous and gracious and engaging. And perhaps I think most dear to me was that she had such a friendship with her bodyguard that he could poke fun of her to strangers. Now, I do know that the queen had a lively Christian faith. I do not know enough about it to say that's the reason she could be so self uh, facing, but there is just a beautiful lack of self-importance in this story. Perhaps even taking hold of the life that really is life. And I think the 
that St. Paul would approve. There's great gain in godliness combined with contentment. And so may we honor the Lord Jesus Christ for all that he has given to us by seeking him first above all things. Seeking righteousness rather than the things that he has for us. And being content and loving the things and especially loving the people that he loves. Amen.